Get up to 30% off wedding jewelry at BlueNile.com and remember the joy of your wedding day forever. Blue Nile offers everything from diamond and lab-grown diamond wedding bands to classic pearls, earrings you can design yourself, even gorgeous sapphire pieces for your something blue. Whatever you choose, Blue Nile's pieces are all graded for excellence, for a lasting memento as brilliant as the love that inspired it. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, everyone. I'm Brenda. And I'm Julia. And you're listening to Roaring Twenties Podcast. Your 20s are known as both the most exciting and most confusing years of your life. We're here to share our stories, to have real and raw conversations, and best of all, to make you feel a little less alone. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. Today, we have a very, very, very cool guest. We have Lois Lieberman with us. Lois is a lawyer. She practices matrimonial and family law. She is a badass lady. (laughs) She's handled the cases of many celebrities and high-profile clients. She's been a consultant on major TV shows, major publications. She's so cool, and she's going to talk to us about career, about marriage, cohabitation, all this crazy stuff that I know nothing about. Me either. (laughs) Hi, Lois. Good afternoon, ladies. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so honored to be a guest here. I'm so excited. And I'm so excited for the two of you. Thank you. We're so excited to have you. We're we're like one of the first people that we thought of when we're like, okay, that has to be it. That's an interview. If she agrees. Oh. She's the smartest lady I've ever met. Oh, please, 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 please. But that, I, again, am delighted to be here and delighted to be part of this wonderful um, podcast, which is going to be, I'm sure, enjoyed and beloved by many 20s and I hope for people who are older. Yay! Yes. Well, yes, so I do. hope so too. So let's, before we get into all that juicy stuff, let's just start off by... Lois, you can introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about you, work, not work, whatever you want to say. Sure. Let's see. I am, I'm a partner in the matrimonial and family law group at Blank Rome. Um, We are one of the largest matrimonial groups in New York City. Our practice is bi-coastal. We have partners in New York and in LA, which is kind of unheard of. We handle a lot of high net worth, high profile um, individuals, and we do all aspects of family law. So not only do we do divorces, we do prenup agreements and as we'll talk about later yes, cohabitation we'll about agreements yes. absolutely I have been doing this for over 30 years and um, I've been with my law firm for over 27 which is uh, somewhat unique I am a mom mm-hmm. of two wonderful children uh, one of which the two of you know extremely well <laughs> yes, <I do. laughs> which is why I'm so delighted to be here since I've watched the two of you grow up oh. and I am just uh, absolutely proud and as we say in the Yiddish term kvelling over what <laughs> and uh would we and if we talk about like work-life balance i can tell we'll tell you a little bit about yeah, that too or as somebody recently talked about i think it was called work-life sway we'll talk about Ooh, that i never Ooh. heard that Absolute, new term new term, term. add it to the dictionary <laughs> yeah we'll definitely get into that for sure so happy to be here and happy to talk to you about uh whatever you'd like yeah, yeah. so let's get right into it so as julia mentioned in your introduction that you've handled 
the divorce of major celebrities. You've been a consultant on TV, all these really cool things. So how did you get to where you are today and any challenges that may have come up along the way? Well, I am definitely um, a product of being in the right time, right place kind of situation Mm. when I was in. So I was always kind of like a frustrated actress. And (laughs) um, so I kind of always knew I wanted to be in court and argue. So in law school, I went to a... um, like a symposium, you wanted to be public interest because you knew you were going to be right in court, either at the DA's office or the legal aid offices. Mm-hmm. And I interviewed, I wanted to be in New York City. So I interviewed for like a public interest, you know, symposium. And for whatever reason, none of the DA's office liked me, but all the legal aid offices liked me. And I happened to have gotten a interview with an organization on in Nassau County. It was called Nassau County Legal Aid Society. And I met with a woman who ran the family law group or the family group. And she's like, do you, have you ever taken family law? This is, you know, in my third third year of law school, and I'm like, mm. and where'd you go to law school? I went to University of Buffalo, so I'm from upstate. I'm from Rochester. I went to Wellesley undergrad, but I was figuring I was going to be upstate and stay upstate. So I had taken one family law course, and she's like, "Did you like it?" I'm like, "Yeah, it was okay." And then I took another one regarding negotiation. I really enjoyed, it. and she's like, "I think you'd be a perfect fit here." And so. Ultimately, I started out in um, the family court division, and our obligations were we represented people who didn't, who did not um, have money to hire their own lawyers, but they were mm. provided legal aid services because either they were going, potentially something was involving their children, so it was in custody litigation, or they could have their children removed in neglect proceedings, mm. or in mm. order to protection proceedings, or because they violated support orders, they didn't pay their support, they could go to jail. So those kinds of proceedings would entitle them to free legal services. So right. I was part of a group. There was six of us. We ran up and down the family court uh, doing all sorts of things, running from case to case and different judges. And it was a very small and close-knit group, all the people who worked kind of in the family court. And there were two judges who were very grandfatherly towards me and who Hmm. were very lovely. And one in particular, one day said to me, this matrimonial family law practitioner on Long Island, he lost his paralegal. I told him to hire you. You'll start next week. Oh my my God. What are you talking about? And also you And how old were you at this point? So I was 20, I'm trying to think, I guess I was uh, 22, 23 maybe, because I graduated college early, so... I guess I was like 22, 23. Again, smartest wow. lady we ever no. met. We bring it back. No, no, no. no. It's just because my birthday is October. I'm very, you know, young, whatever. So you have a two-year commitment usually when you start a legal aid uh, or DA. I'm not sure DA's office, but my head a two-year commitment. This was a year and a half in, so I thought, oh, no, I'm going to get in trouble. I can't do that. They could have cared less. They're like, bye-bye. No problem. We're good. Great. Anyway, so I started off in, in a small boutique law firm and um, loved it. And the people there were fantastic, but years ago. So, again, I'm old. The way you got jobs in the olden times is you would the write in the olden times <laughs> the olden you would send your resume because it, it would be a posting in the law journal you would send your resume to a p.o box not like now and so i saw there was an advertisement for a very um well-known matrimonial lawyer in the city who was looking for an associate and um i showed my husband he's like oh you should totally apply for them I'm like i'll never get that that'll happen never whatever so but i applied and again serendipitously the person who was in charge of the resumes was a lawyer who had practiced out in long island who had just joined their firm they were going to do a combination that didn't go well but when he came to the firm he was in charge of the of the resumes he saw my resume in the pile he called another girlfriend of mine who he was really the mentor of her in, uh, a 
matrimonial family lawyer in, in Nassau County back in 1992. And she said, oh, I know Lois. She's fabulous. So I got an interview. And the, the main lawyer, who I can still consider like kind of like a father figure to me, Stan Lotwin, who was very well known at the time, he would tell people at every holiday party thereafter that during the interview, I giggled a lot. And he, thought, he thought I was a bubblehead, but Norman <laughs> liked me a lot. So they decided to hire me. And, you know, what's amazing to me is I watched that group go from five people and we were a smaller firm to now we are 35. Wow. And we're a part of a much larger firm. Yeah, and yeah. we are, you know, considered, you know, one of the more, um, you know, nationally recognized practices uh, whatever yeah. in our practice. So, <laughs> and, and it's amazing. Um, the challenges, amazing. I mean, the challenges are, it's hard mm-hmm. uh, working when you're a lawyer, you're really in personal service and you really need to be available 24-7 for your yeah. clients, right? And so there's really never a downtime. And, you know, the more senior you get, the more kind of important you are to the client. So there really is that, you know, challenge of trying to be there available all the time, especially when they're paying really high rates. I happen to have been super lucky because I had a male mentor, but I never, I, and I happen to have been in a I guess in a field that there were a lot of women. So mm, yeah. I did not have necessarily some of the challenges that some that women have faced, you know, when they're yeah, female dominated. I was going to ask you about that. So in my field itself, there's a lot of women, but it's interesting being in my law firm, right? Mm-hmm. It was not. And in fact, I'm, I'm in leadership. I'm in leadership positions and there's not, we're still very small representation of, out women. of, yeah. The, yeah. of all the firms. So I think that continues to be a struggle. For sure. But, you know, I've been super lucky to have had amazing mentors along the way and have had amazing relationships. So notwithstanding the fact that it's super hard and, you know, you have to work really hard. Um, I've had really wonderful support along the way. I think probably the thing that I find the most egregious is when other women are not helping other women. So mm. I, and I, you know, you see that I, in, for, in my, given the fact that I'm in a kind of, there's a lot of females in my industry, I truly believe that it's either, it's black or white. Either women help other women. Absolutely. Or they, like, they, the claws come out. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know. And it's just so crazy. It's like, if you help other women, then we're all building each other up. Right. Exactly. But I, you know, sadly, I think I, that's probably a challenge that I still see, you mm-hmm. know, that uh, women are not necessarily recognizing that that there's that they should be supportive and that they should you know build a consensus and that they should like grow each other and help each other right. because that's how they'll rise in the firm absolutely yeah. some you still have those who are you know who are not and I think that's a challenge but. for sure and we were yeah. kind of talking about that this morning about just how and and really we talk about it often that there's room for everyone and that the more that you connect with people instead of tearing them down the the more you learn from other people too for yeah. sure and look I have now interestingly enough again, having had now a seat at the table in certain decision-making processes mm-hmm. within a, an organization, you do see how men and women come at problem-solving totally different, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's really important to have a lot of people at the table doing, you know... Right, and, with all different backgrounds and different opinions. For sure, having that diversity because that brings, you know, the most creative solutions to the table because people do come at things in problem-solving completely different. Yeah. And if, you don't, if you're not inclusive, you're not going to get to the best, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of circling back, I mean, it sounds like you had amazing mentors and a lot of help along the way, but especially when you were coming up and you were young, did you ever find that it was hard to get people to like take you seriously or, you know, what were, what were the challenge, the challenges particularly at that like beginning and the being on the younger end of the, with all the people that you're working with? No, no, no. So it's a really good point. I would say that even when you have, when you're in a, when you are like the associate of 
you know, a, a partner and they say, you call so-and-so or you do so-and-so, you still like getting them to pick up the phone, mm. you know, I, I'll never forget actually having this, you know, major partner pick up the phone and actually talk to me versus, you know, just yeah. like blowing me off. Yeah. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, I've now like, I've arrived, <laughs> I you know, or like when you finally, when they let you go off, go argue in court and they are, and they're sitting in the, in the, you know, in the sidelines and letting you do that. It's a, it's an amazing experience, but I would say to you now, or if one would was if I was to go back in time and say to myself like when I was in 25 26 and say you know what could I give myself advice Mm -hmm. at that time because I truly had a lot of angst at uh, in one type part of my career where I had young kids I I think it was just as you know Petunia uh whatever (laughs) was born and um that's not her real name um being struggling about because working in the city, uh, schlepping into the city, it was much harder when you're, you know, working super hard and um, added, you know, the added the additional pressure of the commute. There was a, I had a run in with a, a with a, a partner in my firm who I like did some typos on a. It was a it's a very long story, but the point being is that if I could have told myself then my experience again having wonderful mentors, I had an experience in my firm where I thought that my uh, forward trajectory was going to be there was going to be an obstacle to that so I made mm-hmm. a determination that I think I was going to leave and I mm. got another job out here in Long Island mm-hmm. I told my boss who was kind of like my father you know I'm, I don't see myself making partner here I have I feel like I don't have the support because this particular partner doesn't I think doesn't like me and therefore I'm I, I and it's going to be so much so much easier for me to be out on the island I'm going to go work on the island and he's like oh no you're not <gasps> and literally Again, I'll, you know, because he, my life would be totally different. Oh my God, yeah. Had I not. Wow. And when he said to me, oh no, that's not happening, we're going to fix this. And so he went to the head of the firm at the time, head of the firm went to the corporate partner. That's amazing who I that thought, he had your back like yeah. that. It was, it was truly amazing. And like, seriously, and this was a, was a partner at the time who was kind of a scary guy and it was really, I mean, he was the biggest business generator. He just had a, you know, knew that it was wound tight. He had high expectations. If he didn't like you, you forget about it. You were dead. And, and literally within, 24 hour period he's like oh I was just angry that day no big deal you've been great but no problem we'll oh be fine. my god that's insane and then I had to tell my the other partner I, the other firm that I had gotten this offer you know I wasn't going to do it and of course he had some choice words where he hung up on me didn't talk to me for two years but <gasps> oh um, no but <laughs> the amazing thing about it is that he had my back and yeah. so now 55 years old I'm you know in certain positions and now the partner who literally was probably the scariest person to me and almost caused me to leave is a real dear like friend of mine mm. and a true supporter of mine now wow. so if wow. I could tell him you know I, you could never have told me like if I could have right. like whispered in my ear and say chill out don't worry everything will be fine yeah. you're gonna be like at the table with him in a certain in an important position whatever and I'd be like no way that would no never way. Yeah. so I mean it's an amazing you know thing but sometimes you what you want to give yourself advice is when you're younger and just to say is look there are going to be some dark times there are going to be some you know bumps in the road just breathe mm-hmm. get through it and mm-hmm. it, you'll learn from it in some yeah. way right and and everything will be fine yeah. I think the hardest thing is being patient when you feel like like you want to be at the table with those people and it's like how do you do that without you know how do you do that on the trajectory that it's supposed to be like how do you be patient through that Mm -hmm. but not sitting back too much like I feel like that's like the finding like that balance and also I think 
that's such an important message for people to hear right now because we there's so much pressure to have your dream job right away and I think that now that with social media we're always seeing what people are doing and and what they're sharing Mm -hmm. and all that stuff so we talk about how we compare to other people and where they are and then you kind of start to internalize that like what am I what am I not doing that's enough well one thing I will tell you Brenda is that what you see on Instagram is not what it is. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, right? <laughs> Since I, like, live in the underbelly of people's lives, which yeah. they're, you know, mm. of marriages that have gone awry, and I deal with the detritus of, like, broken marriages. What you see, you know, mm-hmm. on Instagram, whether everybody's perfect, and everybody's mm-hmm. thin, and everybody's mm-hmm. making it, and perfect families, and the perfect job, they're not so perfect. Yeah. You know, so... No, it's, um, it's a constant true. reminder. Yeah. You have to be like, that's not real. That's not real. For sure. Yeah. And and a great reminder to know that it, I think sometimes when you're in it, it's hard to believe like, oh, yeah, it's totally going to all work out. Right. Um, But also finding that balance between being patient and kind with yourself along the way. And of course, do, doing the work to to get to that seat mm-hmm. <laughs> as well. Yeah. Well, you know what? I look, I think I admire really, you know, all you guys in this age because I think you guys are not as patient and you are demanding more quicker. And mm-hmm. you know what? In a way, I think, I mean, it definitely for for my age group and and, and the 60-year-old, they sometimes look at it as like, you know, you know, wait your turn. Yeah, what are you doing? Right, right. wait your turn. <laughs> like annoying, really. <laughs> right? But, you know, in a way, it's a, it's a, it's a great thing because mm-hmm. you believe in yourselves and you want to achieve what you think you're entitled to achieve, mm-hmm. you know, and there's a balance, right? There's yeah. a balance of like, at least if you're pushing the, you're pushing the issue and making sure you're noticed, mm-hmm. it'll get you noticed. And totally. if you're doing the good work and you're right. doing the right things, then it'll get you those positions or yeah. it'll get you those promotions or what have you. So, um, well, that's what I think that like, you're a great example of Lois of like, and it, you said it in your story. It's like people people in your life kept coming back up to support you and like making calls and you had good references because you were putting in the work and doing good work all the time. I think sometimes now people in our age group just expect to get things without putting in mm-hmm. the work. And I think it's a great example to hear of, no, you have to do good work all of the time and those and people are going to notice that. And that's what's going to come back for you and help you move up the ladder. I, I think that's really an important message. I mean, look, I, like I said, I'm, I marvel at the fact that I think people who are in their 20s, you know, early early 30s, they're like, you know, they're demanding things mm-hmm. quicker. But at the same time, they have to recognize that they have to be doing all the things so that they get the support and they right. get the mm-hmm. people who are going to have their back and, you know, vouch for them because you can't have one without the other. Yeah. Totally. You kind of touched on it before that you were a frustrated actress. But (laughs) so how did you how did you figure out that law was what you wanted to do? Did you have an instinct about that earlier on? Well, I think because every time I was going out for plays, I was like, of course, whatever. Uh, so I kind of realized quickly that that was probably not my thing. And I was back, so I better, you know, you know, bob and weave and figure something else out. You know what? I, interestingly enough, I have always been, uh, when I went to college, I, even though I was young and it, it was totally to the amazement of some of my freshmen when like I was younger than them when I was an RA, but I was like an RA, like, you know, sophomore year. Mm-hmm. And I've always been the, the somebody that people always came to for their problems and for their, you know, to, to help them or to give advice. So like, it is totally appropriate for me to be in a position where I'm like, I am like the personal advisor, or I'm helping people in their, you know, in their familial issues. So it's like not big of a stretch, yeah. um, whether or not I knew at that time, right. like, oh God, a matrimonial lawyer, that would be fabulous. Like right. I said, <laughs> my 
kind of trajectory or my career path was very much like right time, right place yeah. at, at different times. But in reality, I'm, you know, was never going to be a transactional lawyer. And uh, I probably would be horrible at a criminal lawyer because I'd be crying all the time. But um, <laughs> it's, you know, I'm, I'm really in the right place of yeah. what I should do. It kind of came to, like the universe kind of directed you into it. To a certain, absolutely, to a certain extent. You got wow. awesome. All right. So cool. Let's talk about all that actual <laughs> law stuff. <laughs> the scary stuff. The scary stuff. Yes. So can you, could you tell us a little bit more about a prenup? So do you believe you should get a prenup? Because there's a lot of, we talk about, like, there's a lot of stigma behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, like, whether you should get one, whether it's uncomfortable to bring that up. Should we do, but should we talk about cohabitation before we talk about prenups? No, no, no. Well, let's talk about prenups and then I'll tell you about them. We can bob into, okay. into a cohab, okay. what cohabitation is. Because that I know absolutely I nothing. nothing about I at least that. know the word prenup. Yeah. <laughs> I, cohabit, she said to, Lois said to me, oh, we should talk about cohabitation agreements. I was like, what the heck is that? <laughs> I cohabitate with a partner. I don't know anything about that. I'm sure a lot of other people listening do too. So, okay, we'll do prenup and okay, then we'll do that. Sure. I'm anxious no, no. to hear. No, 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 because I, you know, I thought for, kind of your age group, cohabitation agreements were yeah. really an important to talk about. But look, let's talk about the prenups just because yeah. that's like the, you know, the more uh, traditional right. or the something that everybody kind of like has heard about. So a prenuptial agreement obviously is a contract that will delineate what occurs in the event of death or divorce. And you negotiate that pre- that that contract prior to marriage Mm -hmm. and um and that's supposed to be the document that will provide clarity as to what will occur in either of those instances so that people don't have to fight and go to court and and argue about things um yes it is uncomfortable to talk about but the best thing to do is to talk about it well in advance of Mm -hmm. the wedding so and would i recommend it or was there is there a stigma first of all there's no if you have any family member friend, business associate that's been involved in a horrible litigated divorce, mm. I can assure you. They'll tell you. No, they'll tell you, oh my God, I wish I had a prenup or I wish, yeah. you know, whatever. So from the standpoint of like who should get one or mm. why should somebody yeah. get one, right? It's not for everybody. Look, we do. I always laugh. You know, like in wedding season when people, are, you know, it's like that from that May to, I guess, I, we call it till October or whatever, yeah. which is wedding season. Right. We call it prenup season. <laughs> That is, and we're, and we were probably doing them from like January through that. I mean, because yeah. it's around people getting engaged, right? Or around right. the time yeah. that's when we start talking about it. But first of all, statistically speaking, I it used to be one in two. I don't know whether or not it's gotten, I think it's gotten a little bit lower in New York, in New York state at least now, but um, there's a high probability people's, you know, will, and their marriage will not last the t- test of time. So right. having a, a, a prenuptial agreement is, you know, good business or good sense, provided that you are, you know, you have some things to protect. So mm-hmm. mostly people who have family wealth, you know, that's been going to be passed down from generation to generation, very often, whether or not the the kid wants it or not, grandma or mom they and dad, have have they one. have to have it. <laughs> right. right. Well, that <laughs> makes sense. And in fact, there are trusts that are set up that say, if you don't have, get a prenup, you're not going to get the money that you're entitled to. Wow. Interesting. So, from that standpoint, you get usually that that's a big constituency that gets mm-hmm. prenuptial uh-huh. agreements. Another constituency that I would say is really important to get prenuptial agreements is if you coming into the marriage with a, a really if a family business, mm-hmm. right, some type of family business that you know you're going to ultimately gain more of a percentage in, or right. that it's really um, it's being 
controlled by your by you mm-hmm. and your family, mm-hmm. you're not going to want your spouse to have a say in it yeah. in the event that you're going to get divorced or right. have to be, you huh. know, have to value it and, and have like uh, a forensic accounting of it for them to get their piece of it. You're most likely going to want that to right. be protected. Now, nowadays, right? You have a lot of people who have startup companies, right? Everybody's got an app. Everybody's got a startup. I was going to ask, what about we like partners that, yeah. right. but like partners that that own a business together? And well, so that's an interesting. So if you're if you're going to get married uh-huh. and you have our partners that own, like, let's say, a business together, right. most likely you're going to have a partnership agreement. Okay, that's so that's like already taken care of, or it should be right. Right. I mean, so let's just pivot on that point. Is that let's assume for the moment you are helping build your, you know, you and Brenda are, right. you know, building this business. Um, and, you know, you're, it's something that's going to be sold someday. You're going to monetize it, mm-hmm. right? You know, you've got so many followers, somebody wants to invest, private equity people. You're going to want to have your kind of ownership interest in this or your intellectual property mm-hmm. that, you know, which is really what it is at the right. moment, right? Delineated in some sort of agreement to identify exactly what your ownership and what your expectations are. Mm-hmm. That's just good business, right? right? Right. But what happens is people who are boyfriend, girlfriend, 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 boyfriend, boyfriend, whatever, and then they're building something together, potentially like a business, very often, especially if one of them is the one that is contributing the capital or may have the contacts or have created or came up with the idea, mm-hmm. but the other one's helping mm-hmm. and it hasn't been delineated in some type right. of agreement. Well, when things break up, well, they're like, right. it was mine before the marriage. Mm-hmm. You did nothing. It's mm-hmm. just, you've had your, you know, wow. that, so it's definitely something to, you know, think about and want to, you know, insulate yourselves from that argument later on. So I'll pivot to the cohabitation agreement in a second, but with respect to prenuptial agreements, other people who are involved in the financial industry, the financial services industry, like in private equity, hedge funds, those interests that you have over time can be super uh, worth a lot of money. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the person who, if it was my son or my daughter, who's, that's their, what they're going to be doing and their, and their spouse is going to be, you know, more the creative person that's not going to make a lot of money. And most likely I'm going to say to that, you know, kid, yeah, you should should have have a prenup, right? right? Mm -hmm. My husband and I don't have a prenup. We had nothing. But when we first came into marriage, in fact, my (laughs) husband probably had more than me. He had two apartments that he was renting, you know, that he'd probably owned he owned more real estate. He had more money than I did. So I don't. But you know what? And the reality is that not everybody needs one. It's not right. one size that fits all. Right. But usually, you know, uh, or if you're going to inherit in the future, right? You don't have a lot now. There's not a lot much in your name. But you know that, you know, right. grandpa is going to say, you know, you want to make sure that that wealth is protected. Absolutely. So. That makes a lot of For sense. Sure. It's just funny that because when you lay it out like that, you're like, oh, it's just good business. Like, it makes sense. But I feel like so, there's a lot of people that think like, oh, you're getting a prenup. Like, you're expecting your marriage to fail. Right. But it's in which like in one part of my brain, I'm like, OK, I get I get that. You, you should want your marriage to last. But I don't. But as you're saying, like, it's just protecting in in the case that it doesn't last. And there's nothing wrong with that. A great. You know, it's it is probably the most unromantic thing to talk about. Right. right? right? So, and I give talks about, you know, how to approach it with your client, if you're like a financial advisor or how to, you know, when, or the people when I have uh, spoken to like general, you know, generational kids who are going to inherit or they're going to, they're going to ultimately be receiving certain trust distributions. I'm like, okay, number one, you need to have the conversation with your fiance or your girlfriend or boyfriend even before you get engaged, right? Mm. The time to have these conversations is early. The worst part about it is when they start, they bring it up like 
a month before the marriage, Ooh. right? Oh, yeah. I've had that, right? And then people, and then people, then then the reactions like, "What are you talking about?" And then people feel pressure. Totally, and people get that crazy. makes so much sense. So you need to have those conversations now. I will tell you, you learn a lot about somebody when you're in the discussions about a prenup, mm-hmm. right? About their idea yeah. about how you know how they think of money, how mm-hmm. they think of like it's mine, not yours, or right. How they... It might uncover some deep moral things that you either agree on or don't mm-hmm. agree on. No, no, no. I, as I always say, you kind of see the underbelly of yeah, people that's when you're having these um, wow. conversations. I never even think of that. And in, in a way, it's a good thing, right? It's like right. Just, oh, that uh, is a. I think that's, that's a important. Thing. So you know, you, if you go into your marriage knowing full well that they have like a hang up about this or that this is how their feelings, at least you can know how to handle it. So worst is like yeah. because everybody. And again, that's the hope of a wonderful relationship. You're just like in la la land for the whole time. <laughs> You're so super excited, and you only know the good things about each other. Right. Mm-hmm. It's important to know like everything about each Absolutely. other, and, and it doesn't have it. to be a breaking point, like you said. But at least yeah. you know, okay, we differ on this. How can we figure out how to handle this together or work mm-hmm. through this together? And it just it feels like it feels like you would want to know those things about your partner before saying, okay, here we're gonna now get married, right? And, and it's and sometimes it's it's not just knowing about your partner; it's knowing about your partner's family. Right. Yeah. Like who's going to really be in bed with you mm-hmm. in marriage, yeah. which is, you know. That's a really interesting <laughs> point because I think a lot of people don't even begin don't even to think, think about to... that. Absolutely. So, um, okay. So let's, we can pivot to the cohabitation. Yes. Right? Yeah. What is what that? What is that? <laughs> okay. So a cohabitation agreement is a contract that delineates what happens in the event that you guys are living together. Mm-hmm. Like, so there's the the ones that relate to if you've just rented a home okay. together, right? You've entered into a lease, right? You have an apartment in the city. You just put down, you know, you, it's a $5,000 a month apartment. You have now signed a two-year lease Mm -hmm. and things go poorly Mm. you're not going to want to live with each other yeah i know people who have had to and therefore you talks about what happens if the you know separate how to mitigate you know who's responsible for the other half how Mm -hmm. do you get the other you know well the other side who gets what when they take it out you know because very often, even though you both sign on the lease, one person's paying more than the other. It's not necessarily a 50-50 endeavor. Right. So you talk about what are all the things that happens when we break up of who gets to move out, who's going to be responsible yeah. for the cost, who gets the china, you know, all those things. When it comes to like those type, like an apartment or even a house, especially if it's if that home or the apartment is owned by the other person or the family, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. So if you're going to, if you break up, how many days do you have to get right. out so we don't have to Well, that's like my you. situation. Like we, me and Chris live in an apartment that is attached to his grandfather's house. So it's like, that is interesting to think like, how many days do you have to move out? Blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, and, and, and especially in the case in which someone doesn't have somewhere to go right away. That's yeah. really interesting. I just never even thought that you, and I, I am assuming most people too, that thought that you could even do that legally. Right. No, no. And it's a contract. So um, look, Again, now that I've brought it up, you'll have a conversation. But, you know, it, the reality is you need to talk about like, well, okay, how many days do I have to get out? What do I leave with? How, potentially, are you going to help contribute to that mm. if, you know, Whoa. when I leave? Because you want me to go. Right. You know? And what if you have a pet? Yeah. Oh, my God. Pets are, that's another thing that you can deal with the cohabitation. We have a pet. Right? I know. <laughs> you have to deal with visitation. You have to deal with like who owns. So if you have a pet and you're married, uh-huh. you have no children, you're, and the pet is really your child, yeah. per se, they're still considered chattel, meaning they're just property in New York. 
Although various and sundry different judges feel differently about it. Right. So there are some published decisions where they literally look to the best interests of the dog or cat yeah. as to wow. where the dog or oh cat should go God. and we'll deal with visitation so it is it's definitely something that can be included in these kind of cohabitation wow. agreements as to like what visitation would be and where the dog or cat would live that's so interesting is there i don't know anything about this is there something about like if you live together for a certain amount of time it changes things or is that like not in new york so uh, we don't have that here in New York. So they're like that's under like a palimony. You know, if you if you live together for so long, is, are you entitled to support from that individual? Mm-hmm. You're relying upon them. Mm-hmm. We do not uh, recognize that here in New York, and we don't recognize common law marriage here in New York. But there are certain states that if you you know live there, mm-hmm. you could uh, argue those types of things. So, um, but here, and especially if you like buy a home together, right? Right. That's like the kind of the bigger issue is that you both have bought a home you each have contributed different percentages and most likely you're not going to have like a llc or you know you you haven't reduced it to some sort of partnership agreement or 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 you've incorporated and you have like an llc or llp that says we own this percentage right but you should have a cohabitation agreement that says this is how we own this is how our ownership should be structured and in the event that one of us is we break up i'm going to buy who gets the right of first refusal to buy the other one out how do we make the figure out what the value is interesting how many days do you have to buy the other person out does it go on the market what happens if we because we don't want to live together the whole time right who's going to pay wow. the expenses so yeah. again oh, so much to figure think out. about <laughs> so much but i think also really focusing on as opposed to well because of course i'm sure it is very awkward <laughs> but i think instead of for everyone that's nervous about the conversation looking at as more of a like protection for the future just in case as opposed to like seeing the, the seeing a negative end. future yeah. right yeah because I, don't, I it's i really don't believe that anyone who does that is well not anyone but i don't think it's an immediate like oh this is because my marriage is gonna fail i don't think if you think in the beginning that your marriage is gonna, gonna work fail out, you're gonna probably shouldn't married, be right. doing it <laughs> but you know what look i so i get the emotional aspect of it right? yeah that you're yeah. bringing it up somehow either a you're you know you're you're giving it you're putting a kibosh on it or like you right know, you're, you're putting bringing, that out in the universe right exactly but the reality is that the again this is a family-oriented type of situation but shit happens yeah. and you need to protect yourself mm-hmm. as you were saying brenda for the of the possibilities or just be able to plan right as to especially if one partner you know whether it be because you guys got married or, or you or you're living together is kind of like giving up things for the other mm-hmm. you're moving cross-country yeah mm-hmm. you're supporting their career because they are going to school or they're trying something new that mm-hmm. they need some sort of like runway Absolutely. you want to know that your efforts are being appropriately acknowledged and monetized if potentially of course yeah so let's say you're a young couple and now you know about cohabitation agreements and you want to get one what do you do you just you and your partner find a lawyer that provides that and you basically go and just lay it all out well i think you know not to take business away from me i think you actually can go on the internet and there's like legal zoom and certain types of other oh, you interesting. know Right, because let's say if you can't afford maybe a lawyer, right, mm-hmm. or if you're or if you're just looking for to really just um, delineate something that is kind of relatively simple, simple, right? right? You know, we've entered into this lease, we've just signed this lease. If in the event that we don't, we you know, uh, work out, I have the opportunity to mitigate 
they that I'm not I don't have to pay for it. You have to find somebody else within so many mm-hmm. days to and if you don't, you know, I'll pay for three, you know, two months, whatever it may be. Right. Pretty much you can probably find something like that on the internet. But Interesting. If, but if yeah. something is more complicated, if you're really getting into you're buying your family is buying for you an apartment and they are putting it in your name and you your you know boyfriend girlfriend is is going to be living with you you want to have that delineated mm-hmm. of they get so many uh, you know months to get out or days to get out they get so many things they're not they don't have a claim mm-hmm. even if they painted everything figured out beautifully you know how they've enhanced the because i'm sure people get they feel some sort of right entitlement or ownership over that because they've put in the work totally so either you acknowledge it with some sort of payment right you say no you know but you have that conversation first right right then later on having a squatter in your house and trying to evict somebody (laughs) (laughs) but i mean thank you for breaking that down Lois, because i'm i'm i know a lot of young couples who are freshly living together or thinking about moving in together Mm -hmm. and I think a lot of people don't even know that something like that exists so thank you for breaking that down because it was very informative to me absolutely (laughs) and also to to provide those resources especially where at this age not everybody's you know making all the money in the world to pay for something like that so yeah good resources so I have a question about you you see a lot of divorces is there any commonalities that you see across divorces that maybe that you could warn people against (laughs) or you know is there anything that kind of sticks out so you know what I don't know look so there's not like one common thread other than you know somebody has either fallen out of love or trust is gone Mm -hmm. or commonality is gone like you know what I I always describe people as like onions and the layers sometimes wear away at times over over time or crises mm-hmm. have, have removed certain layers and the onion that you married this may not be the onion that you know that's left mm-hmm. with you mm-hmm. at the moment so you just may be in totally two different places i think that certain stressors definitely can provide it can show like a commonality meaning like if you've got special needs kids i think mm-hmm. have, are definitely a stressor that yeah. i've seen you know marriages suffer uh significant challenges from i have seen People who've been trying to get pregnant, you know, when they go that through the whole heart, it is so often either the, you know, the disappointment or the focus or the, even like the, the, the drug protocol can like cause a yeah. lot of issues. Oh, that um, my heart. oh my God, I, whatever. I have stories about <laughs> that. People who've gone through it or like on the edge of are about to be like implanted and then the husband doesn't want to get married. And then, oh, oh my, my God. God right. <laughs> really horrible things. But I think that family pressure, like, you know, in-law pressure or, mm-hmm. you know, things people, like I said, when you talk about prenuptial agreements, you, some of these conversations bring up certain things and you want to see mm-hmm. who's in bed with you mm-hmm. and who's going to be mm-hmm. in bed with yeah. you on your marriage kind of thing. <laughs> I think family members who are in bed with you, like, I yeah. think can cause uh, yeah. issues. You know, look, I think, you know, money is definitely can be a, a blessing curse kind of situation. Mm-hmm. Loss of, you know, jobs loss of kind of identity you know there's a mm. lot of so sadly there is not one thing that i see <laughs> we can't warn right. anybody right. don't do this one thing can't warn anything. <laughs> one thing i do i can say to you like like as a as a cautionary tale mm-hmm. is that um i think that there are a lot of relationships that when all of a sudden they start having when they have kids 
like the focus is on the kids. It's yeah. always on the kids, whether or not there's because the child special needs or, but they sometimes lose the connection with mm-hmm. one another. And I think that that's probably one cautionary tale I can say is yeah. that, you know, don't lose the connection still. Even if you are tired and you're exhausted and your kids are like, that's really all you can do. Make sure that there's still some connectivity between you and your spouse and having some sort of something in common. You know, I I think that the worst thing is when you hear these stories where wife based upon the fact, and now it's husbands, right? So it's gender neutral, but one of the spouses gave up their career because it was agreed they were Mm going to raise kids. Stay at home. Stay at home. It's going to be better for the kids and blah, blah, blah. And then later on, all of a sudden, the working spouse is like, I, I didn't want you to stay home. Or, or they've lost that commonality yeah. or lost the respect. Or the person who's now stayed home don't doesn't feel the same, like that they have the respect of right. the others, yeah. right? And we always talk about cultivating relationships, and especially when they're long-term, you know, making that time for, for people and cre- continuing to cultivate it. And I think the kids thing is a really good point because it's not something we've really talked about much but I do think that people do shift their perspective towards the kids and this is not to say (laughs) to not stay together because of that but I think it's almost almost assumed like oh we have kids so you know this is something that we're doing together and almost not thought about like because you have kids that you just assume that you're gonna stay together yeah and not like work as much on the relationship just because it feels like a a binding thing if that makes sense no that makes sense it's taking something for granted right it's always the aspect of taking something for granted and and i think that again it's a two-way street yeah you know that the person who works 24 7 needs to make sure that they are spending time not just talking you know being a parent which is important which is super important but making sure that the their partner their you know their spouse is you know some appreciated as well yeah Mm -hmm. i mean and it i feel like it's even hard to do when you don't have kids sometimes yeah just because people you are on different schedules or you're busy with work or you have something else going on so to set up that practice now before you have kids and so that it's easier to continue, hopefully, when you do and when things get more complicated because it's only going up from here. One hundred percent. So something that we wanted to ask you is, do you give back the ring? <laughs> if you get divorced if or get divorced. break off an engagement? <laughs> something. Super Who gets to keep it? Who gets it? No, it's a super important question and things that sometimes can be litigated on. Um, so a giving an engagement ring is a promise it is part of the promise to get married and mm-hmm. the ultimate marriage is the actual uh, outcome so in the event that you don't have the marriage then the ring goes back that is new york law wow that's the law that is Aww, the law, that's the law. <laughs> now it is not like that in every state right uh because i've spoken about it and i think i'm trying to think if it's texas or there's an uh, there are other states that talk about who's at fault and if the oh. person cheated or whatever, you get to keep the ring. Not in New York. It's a. It is. That's a, a slippery slope. How do you know? So therefore, if you if the promise is not kept or what have you, then you can't. Then you have to give back the ring. Now I had said, what happens if you? So an engagement ring is separate property. It's uh-huh. yours before the marriage. It is your ring to keep. So in the event you got get divorced, that engagement ring is not part of the marital estate. It's yours. Interesting. Except if it was great Aunt Sadie or yeah, Grandma's like family. family heirloom or something like that, then that would go back to the spouse that, you know, that it was uh, it was their family's um, 
uh, asset or if it was a gift you'd have to deal with it in some different way but it would not be just considered separate right and what you often have is like it was my mother's or my grandmother's diamond we put it into the ring and mm. had this fantastic setting mm-hmm. made and then you start breaking apart that ring Oh my god! <laughs> wow, wow. See, it's interesting to me to know that there's laws about it. Like, yeah, I didn't even I know no that idea. there 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 were laws about it. So that's good to know. <laughs> learning so much. We're learning so much. Um, okay, so let's shift gears a little bit, Lois. You touched on it before. You're a mom. You're a wife. Work life balance. How, what did you call it? I called. Talked. I called it. Somebody told me. So I don't know who coined this phrase, but it's work life sway. Work life sway. Love that because it's really. You're never going to balance. It's not, it's impossible. Mm -hmm. So it's a sway. Sometimes you're doing more work. I like that. Sometimes you're focusing more on your family. It is just the pendulum of where you are that day. Mm Because it's impossible to do it all. Yeah. If you think, I mean, look, I always marveled at people who, you know, were baked a cake for the kids you know, whatever birthday before they got to court and then they came home and they still looked fabulous and they did, they exercised five hours <laughs> yeah, a day right. or whatever. It's just not impossible. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, that sway is, you know, sometimes you're going to focus on yourself. Sometimes you're going to focus on your work. Sometimes you're going to focus on your family. Sometimes you're going to focus on your husband or wife. You just have to give yourself the break of knowing that you can't do it all at the same time. Yeah. So. That's a hard thing to accept, I think, for a lot of people because we want to be like superwoman. Totally. Yeah. Absolutely. And you know what? Look, it's uh, it, it's also really important and helpful to have understanding spouse or boyfriend or girlfriend or family understands because, you know, it's the worst thing in the world for, you know, a working mom to be running home to get to the your child's like horse concert and the Long Island Railroad is broken down or whatever. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and you'd like live with that guilt forever. And um and that's the kind of stuff that, you know, whatever I had to deal with and I, you know, luckily had a spouse who was, you know, wonderfully um available for my children and I had kids who didn't blame me later on. <laughs> years and so, you know, it all knock wood I think worked out. Oh. Okay. So another thing is you're I know you're really involved in the Global Lyme Alliance. So um, when I said in the family context of shit happens, you know, people people in their lives, um, one of the things that I always wanted to instill in, in my children, especially my daughter, is that you always should work. You should always have a career because stuff happens. And in our lives, my husband got very ill with uh, Lyme disease and other tick-borne illnesses. And he was super ill, stopped working, and you know, it took a very long time for us to finally ultimately diagnose him correctly. And um, he was very, you know, it was in very bad shape. But as time went on, when we found the right diagnostician and then various doctors who were more helpful, we became involved in this charity called Global Lyme Alliance that's dedicated to find a cure and to raise awareness about Lyme and other tick-borne illnesses. And it's super important because the epidemic is really still being kind of you know, acknowledged. It's hard. It's hard. Mm-hmm. It's beginning to be acknowledged, and it's really well. It's very. It's a new, quote unquote, new disease. Well, so it's not new, but it's like, just people, like are people are finally being yeah. new to the the eyes and the awareness <laughs> of the people. Right, and it's and there are not enough doctors who really are um, Lyme literate and mm-hmm. understand. And mm-hmm. you know, the most horrible thing is to to meet people and to understand and to know people who have literally gone to hundreds of doctors and everyone said that it was in their head or. Ugh. That they were malingerers or they were, you know, misdiagnosed and um, didn't get the right help. So to find an appropriate diagnostic test is part of the 
uh, mission of Global Lyme Alliance, as well as to find more Lyme literate doctors and to get the information out there and raise awareness and to do prevention, you know, so making sure that when kids are running outside and, and you know, for p- parents to be aware of, because not everybody gets a bullseye wet rash to that would il- right. to indicate that there's something wrong and to understand symptoms mm-hmm. and and to prevent, you know, to be when you're running outside, uh, you know, to make sure that in certain hiking, you know, to be appropriately dressed and yeah. to know what you're looking for. So, so that's a, an organization that's very near and dear to our hearts. Amazing. And we'll, I'll link, um, I'll link the Global Lyme Alliance in the show notes yeah. and some more um, resources for information on Lyme so that people can look into it if they don't really know much about it. That's great. Excellent. Lois, you have been unbelievable. unbelievable. <laughs> you have imparted so much wisdom on us. Thank you so, so much. We just have two little departing questions sure. <laughs> before we wrap up. You kind of gave yourself some advice before, but if you could give your 20-year-old self a little snippet, a little piece of advice, what would you tell yourself? I would say keep doing what you're doing. Don't don't doubt yourself and don't get down on yourself. Mm. And it's all going to be great. Love I love it. That. <laughs> that hit real. Yeah, I needed that. <laughs> awesome. And the last one is going to be where can people find you? So anything online, website, any publications, whatever. So, oh, yeah. so I'm. Um, you can find me on my firm's website. So I'm. Uh, I'm. I'm a partner at Blank Rome. So I think my email address is ljliberman at blankrome.com. So if you need to email me, or if you awesome. look me up on the website of Blank Rome, you can find me. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you so Thank much, you so, so much. Yay. Thank you, girls. Thank you so much. It's been so much fun. Yay. Yay. Bye. Bye, Bye guys. Thanks for listening to Roaring Twenties Podcast. Be sure to rate and review wherever you get your podcasts and please subscribe. You're never alone. Our pride sticks together. Tune in every Monday and Friday for new episodes of Roaring Twenties Podcast. You get to start your week with us and end your week with us. With, with love, love, Brenda and Julia.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.